Hey, I want to talk to you this morning out of Joshua chapter 24. And the title of the message is this, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. What will you choose? Think about it. In your life, you got so many choices, but those choices will come back to define who you are and set the direction for your life. And so what we're going to do in just a moment is we are going to have the scriptures on the screen, and we're going to read those publicly. And maybe you're new and you're wondering, like, why do they read the script? Why do they all stand up and all that? Well, we anchor everything that we do in the scripture. We want it to be steeped in the scripture. So Paul, when he was writing to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he said this, until I come, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. That's what I want you to be about. That's what I want you to be, that to be central. I want to emphasize that. I want you to be committed, young Pastor Timothy, to the reading of Scripture. Additionally, Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, there he was in, a, in, a, uh, uh, in Nazareth there. And so it says that when he, was, he got the Scriptures, and as was his custom, as was his custom, he stood up to read the Scriptures. And so uh, he read Isaiah chapter 61. And then if that's not enough, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy to the church, and blessed are those who hear it. Blessed are those who hear it. And so the book of Revelation was intended to be read publicly, as well as the other books of Scripture there. And so because... We're hearing God-breathed words, not any mere words. These are God-breathed. These are the divine exhalings of Almighty God. So that is why we do this. So if you are able to stand today, would you please stand to your feet? We're going to be reading Joshua 24, verse 13 through verse 15. And I will be reading verse 13. You'll read verse 14. I'll read 15. This is the word of the Lord. I gave you land, and you had not worked on it. I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you're now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it endures forever. So thank you. Well done. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're here. And thank you, Lord, uh, everybody watching online. Lord, I want to be mindful to lift up the campuses across America where the spark of revival is happening, that you would fan the flame of spiritual renewal, not only there, but here and stir the hearts of, of a generation that would fall afresh in love with you and you would draw near to them and they would draw near to you and you would do what only you could do. And Father, we pray that those that are far from you would be raised to life anew in Christ. And as we turn to your word, the ancient text that speaks to us so powerfully today, we pray, Father, you'd speak to us that you would build your house, that Jesus would be exalted, that we would be equipped and we would leave here knowing that you, almighty God, Jesus Christ, is an awesome God. And everyone agreed saying? Amen. So the title of the message again is, The Choice is Yours, So What Will You Choose? 
And you think about it in life, you have, you have, you're, you're faced with choices every day. But you're faced with choices as we're God's people here that will define you. You're free to choose, but after you choose, that choice is going to define you. That choice is going to affect your destiny. That's going to determine your life. So we're going to talk about that today, some choices that all of us need to make here. So Joshua chapter 24 opens with the first 12 verses that 22 times God is going to talk about what he's done, what he's done for the children of Israel. And then in verse 14, it's going to say, so in light of what he's done, here's three responses that you want to make. And then after that, the challenge comes, what are you going to do? Well, who are you going to live for? So the context then is God's people are in the promised land, 400 years, former slaves, under the thumb of Pharaoh. And so God opened the Red Sea. They walked across on dry, dry ground. And then the Egyptians were swallowed up. God closed the Red Sea and they were done. God said to Moses, the, the Egyptians that you see, you will see them no more forever in Exodus. And that was the case. And so now Moses' successor, Joshua, leads the children of Israel into the promised land, which for us speaks of the promised life there. They entered into the land of the Canaanites. And so Joshua there, being a military general, trampled Jericho, conquered Ai, and defeated the enemies of God's people. Everyone then was able to receive their inheritance, their portion, the 12 tribes of Israel, including Joshua and Caleb. Now Joshua is a very old man and advanced in years. And God calls Joshua to speak to the people there in Shechem, which had immense historical significance. And it says this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including the elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. So in this great historical setting here were the bones of Isaac and the bones of Jacob, the bones of Leah and the bones of Rebekah had been sprinkled there where God met Abraham there where, uh, in Shechem there. Joshua is going to speak to God's people one last and final time here. But before Joshua challenges them in verse 15, before he talks about the three things their lives need to be about, he's going to stack the deck in favor of the one true God, and he's going to rehearse for them what they need to know. He's going to review the history of Israel and how God has blessed them and how God is for them. So we're going to go over some of those, not all of them, but Joshua says, in essence, let me hit rehearse for you the history of Israel so you can know and be reminded everything that God has done for you. So you were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God then delivered you out of Egypt. You were hopeless. There was nothing that you could do there. And God sent a deliverer. And you had nothing to do with the deliverer. That was me. I sent Moses to deliver you out of the brutal bondage of the Pharaoh there where you were making bricks and you still have the smell of brick dust in your garments. God has been a shelter for you for every storm that you've faced. And when you were, it was over for you, and there you were facing the Red Sea, and there was the Egyptian army. There was God who delivered you from the Egyptian army. 
And when you were hungry, God gave you man in the wilderness. And when you were thirsty, God gave you sweet water. And God defeated your enemies. And God has been your protector. God has been your provider. God has been everything to you. God has been your strength to you. Everything that you needed, that you ever needed, it was God then that met you. Joshua reminds them that it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah, that has loved them, the one and true God. Now verse 13. Joshua's about to die over 100 years old here, and these are his final words about the most important choices of their life and your life. Choices that will define you. Choices, friends, that will set the direction of your life there in this farewell address to God's people. We have three takeaways for you from verse 13, 14, and 15. So I want to draw your attention again to verse 13 on the screen. says this, I gave you land. Now watch. God is declaring, look, here's what I've done. I gave you the land, okay? I gave you the land, and you had not worked on it. You didn't do anything. And I gave you towns you did not build, and towns where you are now living, next part of the verse, and I gave you vineyards, and olive grape grows for food, and through through you did not plant. You didn't do anything. I did it all for you. So imagine now God's people there, the children of Israel, they're in the promised land. He gathers them to the significant place of Shechem, and you're listening to the aged general. They're talking to them one last time. Joshua's like this. Hey, hey, everybody. Like, look over there. Look at those vineyards there and those olive groves. You didn't have nothing to do with those. I look at those buildings. Look at the houses that you're living in. I look at the land that you're on. You had nothing to do with any of that. That was all God. You had zero to do with it. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and you had nothing to do with that. And like the children of Israel, when he said, look at the land, look at the trees, look at the buildings, look at the vineyards, look at the food, look at all that God has done, I want to remind you that the Christian life then, remember this, is that it's something that you've received. It's not something that you've achieved. It is something that you've received, not something that you've achieved. So if you're a Christ follower, you did nothing to inherit to be given the life that you now have. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all, including all here who receive him, that's all you do. You receive him, and then you are the son, the daughter, the children of Almighty God here. So what do we do? We receive his forgiveness. We receive his grace. We receive his mercy. We receive his salvation. We receive his adoption. There was a fifth grader that had an assignment in class and was to talk about to try to describe God. And back in the day, McDonald's had this saying, this slogan, it went like this, McDonald's, we do it all for you. Remember that? We do it all for you. Remember that? So you remember. And so the little, the little fifth grader wrote, God is like McDonald's. He does it all for you. That's what it's saying here. Our faith then is a receiving faith. God has done it all for you. So let's look at this, some of these verses. Can't cover all of them. But we'll cover, get the idea uh, through 1 through 12. It says, long ago, here's you. Here, here's where I found you. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, 
who the Bible says was an idolater, knew nothing but idolatry, uh, had no hope really spiritually, says, including Terah, the father of Abram worshiped other gods, but here's what I did. That was you, but here's what I did. He says here, so, but I took, I took your ancestor Abraham. That was me, all me. And I led him into the land of Canaan. So God says, look, that was your messed up life, Terah. It was hopeless there in Haran, but I fixed the mess. What I did is I lifted Abraham out and I took Abraham by the hand there and I shepherded him and I led him and I adopted him and I influenced him and I, let, and I led him to leave the, the land of idolatry there and I prompted him and, and, and I set my love on him and the same is true for you. The same is true for me. I had nothing to do with my being here this morning. Nothing. I'd be a fool to think otherwise. I know that it's God, God, more God, and only God, and nothing with the speaker. It's, it's all of him. And so by mercy and by grace, and by his intention. And so he adopted you, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. So God has made you his son, his daughter. He leads you, he shepherds you, he's put his love upon you. And then verse three says more, and I multiplied his descendants, Genesis chapter 12 and 13 there when Abraham was leaving the Ur of the Chaldees. And he said to him, Abraham, look up. Look at the stars of the sky. Just to the stars of the sky, so shall your seed be. Innumerable there. It was me. I multiplied your descendants. I gave you Jacob and Esau, the promise of Abraham. I pulled that whole thing off. That was me there. So God gives and God multiplies and every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, is from above. So think about your life today. Everything you have, every good and perfect gift from God above. I mean, I don't care what kind of car you drove in this morning. You may look at your car and go, man, it's got tomatoes for tires and it's held together by duct tape. Hey, it's still from God, you know what I'm saying? And so come on, somebody. Can I get a witness? It's held together by duct tape, but can I get a witness? And so everything you have, came from all the good hand of Almighty God here. And so he says, look, I sent Moses. Next verse, verse 5. You, you, you thought it was somebody else. That was me. And I defeated your enemy there at the Red Sea. That was me. I was the one that did that. I defeated the Egyptians for you. I liberated you. You were enslaved. You were hopeless. That was me. I did all the work for you. And so I'm the sender. I'm the Savior. I'm the one that rescued you. I defeated your enemies for you. And so, and likewise, we, God has done it all for us. We have the enemies of our soul. We have the enemies uh, of sin. We have the enemies of shame. We have enemies that God is the one that fights our battles. He said, I brought you out from Egypt 22 times what God did here. I dealt with Pharaoh. That was me. That was, that was in impossible for you. I did. I brought you, not only did I bring you out, but I brought you into the land. That was me that brought you into the promised land there. I blocked the, the Red Sea. I blocked the Jordan River. I the land you see, the trees you see, the building, all of it, I rescued you. I set my love upon you. I cared for you. I provided for you. That was me. You see, our faith then, friends, it's a receiving faith. And God has to go out of his way 22 times to point that out. Now, so I want you to look at the cross because the 
cross screams to us, it screams to us that you don't have to earn your way. The cross screams to us that you cannot be right with God except through the cross, through the blood of Christ. That's the only way you have right standing with God. You have to admit who you are, admit your brokenness, confess with your mouth there the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. But, but it's all the work of the cross there. You see, the universal symbol of the Christian faith is not a ladder. Because what does the ladder scream? The ladder screams, you got you to gotta climb your way to God. I mean, think about they sell it, jewelries, uh, ladders that Christ followers would wear around their neck. How absurd is that? How absurd is that? The ladder is not the symbol of uh, the universal symbol of a Christian faith, because otherwise it says on here, try harder, sing louder, give more, fill in the blank. Just keep, just keep trying harder, and then you 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 climb that ring of the ladder, and then the next one, and you're trying harder and do more and. Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. So there's nothing that you can do. It's work, work, and more work. Not by works of righteousness, for by grace we're saved through faith, and not of the works of climbing a ladder there. It's all about the cross. And so we couldn't climb our way to God. We couldn't earn our way to God. So God came to rescue us. That says strive, earn it, work your way up the ladder there, keep trying. You can, you can do it. That's religion. So, But the Christian faith is not about us climbing to God. It's about God come down from heaven for us. When we were hopeless and in our loss and our sins here, and we receive forgiveness of sins by what he has done. And so we gather, we gather this morning, not under ladders of our self-effort, but we gather under the cross of Jesus Christ. And so uh, under a cross and not a ladder. Because what does the ladder scream? The ladder screams to us, strive without ceasing. Buddha, his final words, before he gave up the ghost, was this, to his followers, strive without ceasing. Jesus' final words to his followers were, it is finished. You just trust, you receive, but it is finished. There is nothing that you can do because the cross of Christ secures our salvation. Friends, our faith then is a receiving faith. And Joshua reminds us of this when he says, God did this and God did that. God, 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 God. And then he says in verse 14, in light of what he done, he's done, so because of that, here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to respond. So number one, fear the Lord. Number two, serve him wholeheartedly. And number three, put away those little gods there. He says, now in light of what God has done, now worship him. So that brings us to the verse. So fear the Lord, serve him wholeheartedly, and put away your lame gods here. And then ultimately it's coming the challenge. So fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Have a healthy reverence for the Lord. Serve him wholeheartedly. You know what that means, wholeheartedly? The original uh, Hebrew language, it's a conjunction of two words, which means remove all the wax. And what does that have to do with, with uh, serving him wholeheartedly? 
It means this, that in that culture and in Greek culture, Hebrew culture, the pottery makers of the day, they'd throw some wax in there when they knocked somebody's nose off or got a crack in it. And the pottery then would be purchased and thinking like, oh, that, that's, this is awesome. Look what I got. And you go home and throw it in the, in the, uh, somewhere in your house and the sun comes up and melts it and the nose goes off, whatever. And you think, what the heck ha- happened? And so it means that it's not sincere. So it says, look, when you serve with sincerity, it means that like, look, no play acting, no faking, no games, no fooling around, no acting like, yeah, I'm really wholehearted, when the reality is it's you're not. And so and put away the other gods. Now, there's all kinds of gods in Egypt, I'm going to talk about that, but here's the choice that you're to make. Here's the choice, and the choice is yours. Will you choose to renew your affection for God? Will you choose that? That's what he's talking about here. There's a one true God. Joshua's final words, he's pleading with the people. He's pleading with them that they would have affection for the only true God, not the little G gods of the culture there. So there's idols throughout the culture. Idols throughout the culture. It's a pantheistic culture. Then you see that when you tour Israel. But while the people should have been grateful, 22 things they should have been grateful of, their hearts now are going after the little G gods. And Joshua was like, how can you do Going after the gods of pleasure and the gods of greed and the gods of lust and the gods of materialism, even the gods of like hatred. Joshua challenges them and challenges us. Tells them such a condition cannot continue. And they must decide if they want to serve the idols or serve the one and true God. But he will not allow them to live in a place of kind of neutrality there and have their gods and have, you know, Jehovah too. Neither does Jesus. And so you have to decide who's going to be the number one priority in your life. Okay, is the creator going to be Christ Jesus or someone else? Christ demands first place. There's no room on the throne of your heart for two gods. There's only room for one. So Joshua then is calling the people then, the people now, to be idol breakers, to put away forever on the screens the little G gods. But I want to talk to you about a subtle dynamic that if you could go behind the scenes, like what's going on behind the scenes in your heart of hearts here, because we have these little G gods in our culture here that they're competing for your affection. And they're competing for your attention. And they can even be good things here. And the little G gods here are trying to pull away some of your attention, your affection for the little G gods. They're like, hey, come over here. We, we want to talk to you. And, uh, and so, but when you begin to give your heart uh, away from the Lord, you're giving your heart to lesser things there. Here's what I know. Everyone is wired up, hardwired by the Almighty to worship something. It's an inescapable reality there. And if you don't worship the true God, you're going to worship something else. So you get, if you worship something other than God, you're going to settle for things that are lesser than God. You will settle for things that are less than, that don't satisfy, that don't quench the thirst within. And so how do you stop? What do you do about the competing desires? How do you deal with that? Because over time, 
our longing for things that are less than God uh, cannot quench the longing for God. And so what doesn't work, and what I know about how the human heart works, is it does not work the typical things that we hear in church world about stop doing that. Like just put it down and that just doesn't work. It's never worked for me. Just stop because over time, the little G gods have that way there of wiggling their way into your heart. So what do you do then? Well, what did Joshua do? 22 times, God is awesome. God did this, God did that. Trying to get their eyes back on the Almighty. Then he says, put away those dumb gods in the culture. And so God would do the same thing with us today. God would, uh, if we, our hearts and the affections of our hearts could be enraptured with the majesty and the beauty and the glory and the, the goodness and the awesomeness of who Jesus is, and we are, our hearts are going after them, him, then the things of the little G gods, they lose their stranglehold on your heart. But that will always be a dynamic that you're dealing with, as were the children of Israel. So you can look at the one true God, you see how awesome that he is. And you recognize that you don't deserve the goodness of God in your life there. And so to give an illustration that comes to my mind is one because I was even there on Friday, so it's fresh in my mind, and that is In-N-Out Burger. Can I get a witness from somebody? You can talk to me, okay? You can talk. To, I want you to talk back at me. Imagine this afternoon, Yukaipa Boulevard. You're driving by there in a force greater than yourself. A, a force greater than yourself. You see it, and it just it pulls you in. And you set your teeth. You put that in your, in your mouth. A double-double. Maybe it's a four-by-four. Four. I don't know what your favorite is. But you eat, you have those fries, they're delicious. Everything about it is wonderful. You pull out of In-N-Out, and you happen to be in town, and you glance over, and there, you're thinking about, you're thinking about this here, you're thinking about Burger King, you're driving by, and a Whopper, and it doesn't even register on the radar. Can I have a witness from somebody in the house? What I'm talking about, this is actually going somewhere, okay? What I'm talking about is taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and see, like an In-N-Out burger, how good the Lord is, the whoppers of life, they lose their stranglehold on you. You're like, I don't even want to, I don't want to know nothing about whoppers because I got in and out, okay? And that's, I don't want to know nothing about the small G gods because I've got the big God, Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah, the one and only. So in light of that, the greatness of who God is, the three responses that we have now, verse 15, but if you, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today. Now watch this because it's not saying just choose the small G gods. It is not saying that. He's not saying Yahweh, Jehovah, or small g. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, choose the true God. But if you're not going to choose him, you have no other choice. 
Because your heart has got to worship something. And since you're hardwired to worship something, since you won't choose him, all right, then we got to take the small g gods. And I'm going to talk to you about those. Because you're hardwired for worship, and you're always going to worship something. And so then you've got no choice. Because at all times, everyone here and everyone watching online, the inescapable reality is this, that your heart is going to pursue something going to honor something above all else, going to worship something because that's how you were created is to worship. It only gets misplaced. Joshua then says, look, if you don't worship the Lord, whatever you're going to worship. Let me talk to you about that. So, but I want to interject this before I go any farther. He says this, but as for me and my house, my children, my kids, my grandkids, my house, we're going to go with God. There was a bigger house that didn't go with God. Like the nation did not go with God. And that's why he talked to him about this. So Joshua then, who was he mentored by? Who was he shaped by? By Moses. Okay, and so Moses then mentored him. But who did Joshua mentor? Who did Joshua train up? Joshua's generation was trained up. But there was a failure for Joshua to train up any leaders for the, or the elders of Israel. So now we have a generation that's void. Now we have a problem. So there was a failure because they forgot the next generation. And in 25 years or whatever, they're pursuing other gods. It's awful. It's terrible what happened. And so... Moses trained Joshua to be successful, to be a successor. And Joshua had success, but there was no successor in the midst of his success, which led to failure. And the same is true today. The Bible says these things were written for us, that we would learn, that we would learn from them. And so, because Joshua was, what's up with Joshua? Joshua's too busy. Fighting against Ai and the Jebusites and Canaanites and all the ites and the mosquito bites, all the ites. He's, he's busy and he's consumed fighting there. And so he failed to train leaders to succeed him and to take over after he left the scene there. So Joshua was too busy. I wonder if church leaders today get too distracted and they're too busy to train up those that are going to follow the next generation. So Israel then is always one generation away from apostasy, from falling away from God because there was no mantle of leadership that was being handed off to them. So the Bible says in in the next book, in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, another generation arose after them, watch, who did not know the Lord and did not know what he'd done for Israel. How horrible a commentary on that generation. Because then they're following them. They did not know the Lord, and they did not know what God had done. It's because Joshua was too busy. So God's people there, God's people did not follow, they fell away. Watch, all that to say this, that generation is coming to church right now. There's a generation, and we're responsible for that generation. And I am responsible, and you are responsible. We are responsible for the next generation. See, watch, Sanctuary. If we don't learn the lesson here, 
and we ignore this, and we just go back to our life. Well, yeah, it was a nice church, and go back to your life, and you forget it. Here's what's at stake. The future's at stake. And if we don't pour into, and we don't prioritize, and we don't invest in, and we don't equip, and we don't entrain, and we're not devoted to younger people, the younger generations, Judges chapter 2, verse 10 will write another chapter all across America and could write the chapter right here. And we are one generation uh, from passing away into oblivion. That's the reality. We're 25 years away from passing away into oblivion where nothing that we've done will have lasted. That's the reality. So one day, we're going to be building a building. I think this year, it's not that far away. Probably this year, we will, we will commence that journey. But let me say this, and we're going to be busy building a building. But at the same time, at the same time, we will be busy building young people. We will be busy, more busy, uh, pouring into young people and developing and equipping. Because that building, yeah, it's going to be great. That building is nothing without the people that are going to be in the building. It will never be about the building. It will always be about what God does in the building. Now, is the building important? Yeah, it is. Because that's where God's people will meet. And you need to have a place. And we're already... Quite frankly, we're already out of room in this place. It's one of the place five times bigger for what God is going to do there. But it's always going to be about what God does in the building, what God does in the younger people in the building, and never about the building. Because we don't get busy and caught up with all that and, and forget a younger generation there. It's a sobering reality here and a sober, sober warning for us. And so... Uh, and so what do we do then? What do we say? Joshua said, hey, choose today whom you will serve. No one can make the choice for you. You determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. The choice is yours, friends, but what are you going to choose? That is the message. The choice is yours, but what are you going to choose? Joshua says, hey, you got options. you got all kinds of options. you got all kinds of choices. And I'm going to talk about the options. I personally would never do that. I'd go straight to my main point. But Joshua, for whatever reason, I'm going to talk about the options. Yeah, on the other side of the Euphrates, you get all those gods. And in the land that you're now in, the Jebusites, the Hittites, and all the other, uh, you got those options. He said, yeah, you got, you got Egypt. Who would be an idiot to go after something where God delivered you from the, the bondage and the addiction of that? Why would you, you know, like the Bible says, as a, as a dog goes after its vomit, why, why would you go back to that when you think about the pain that I was in and God delivered me from all that? But that's an option for you if you want that option. So maybe there's somebody here that you're like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. And maybe, maybe you need to leave here today. You need to think about it some more. And you're in the process of deciding where you land here. And that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're all somewhere on the continuum of Joshua 24, 15. Joshua says, okay, let me, let me talk about me. Here's my declaration. And here's where I plant my flag. And here is the hill that I am willing to die on. But I am claiming me, and I am claiming my house, not just me, that we're going to go, not all the gods of the culture, we're going with God number one. And here's what is at stake this morning. Whatever God you choose, and you are free to choose, whatever God you choose will set the course for your life. The choice is yours, but the God you choose will determine the direction 
of your life for the rest of your life. So you choose. And Joshua says, hey, well, you're trying to decide on the God you're going to choose. Let me speak about me and my house here. And if Joshua was here this morning, I could say, General, it's an amazing opportunity to have you here. I wonder if I could just ask you a few questions, invite you on the platform. And Joshua would come up, and i say, hey, Joshua, General, if you could tell us, you could tell us a little bit about your, your decision there. Uh, uh, are you grateful that you made the choice? And would say, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Sanctuary, that I made the right choice. I'm so grateful that I did not choose the gods of culture that abounded. I'm so glad of what God brought me from, what he took me to, and I made the right choice. And today he would say, Jesus Christ is the right choice. That's what he would say here. And God will choose, you choose your God, but then that God will determine the direction of your life. But again, that God won't satisfy, that God can't quench the thirst of your soul, and so why would, you, why would you go that way? Then verse 15, as for me and my house, my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Present tense, it's present tense. In the Hebrew language, it's present tense, serve. And so he's saying this, hey, it's not enough that you served around the walls of Jericho and Ai. It's not enough that you were there crossing the Jordan River. That was all good, but that's not enough. That's not enough. He's saying that you are to continually serve until you no longer have breath in your lungs. You're to serve and serve and serve. And that's to be your life. That's to be your lifestyle. You are to continually serve here. That's what you're to do. And so the choice is yours, but what will you choose? Will you choose to serve yourself, serve your gods, or will you choose to continually serve the Lord. I gave the illustration about the Whoppers and the In-N-Out. And that was an illustration about created things. And we resonate a bit with that, you know, and, and uh, you feel the energy in the room go up a bit when you're talking about In-N-Out there, but those are created things. But we're talking about our Lord who is above all, beyond all, and is the only not created thing. He's existed beyond before all time here. And so because he is above all and beyond all, he can satisfy beyond all. He could quench the thirst of your soul beyond all. He can go where only he can, he can go and do what only he can do, that you live in a space of being so satisfied. He can deliver you out of, out of any past, no matter how dark your past, he can deliver you and he can make the wrong right to turn the negative into a plus. And we get to receive all that. We don't achieve it. We receive it. It's, it's so awesome. And Jesus doesn't ask you, friends, to take up your ladder. He asks you to take up your cross and to follow him. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. And Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you don't ask us to take up our ladder, but you ask us to take up our cross and follow you into life everlasting, to follow you in the best version of our life. And Lord, we want to say that's what we want. If you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, that's what I want, 
begins with saying yes to Jesus, being saying yes to forgiveness, yes to his way and not your way. And if that's you sitting right where we're sitting, and you want to say yes, the quietness of this moment, just say yes. I receive Christ. I want to follow him all the days of my life. I want to serve him. I take Christ as my Savior. And if you do that, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It says that you become his adopted son or daughter. How beautiful is that after all he's done? So that's you right at your seat. You say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow. And thank you, Lord. I pray that you would seal that in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.